Exodus tonight, chapter 13. As we uh, as we talk tonight, I want to make sure that we don't look at our time together tonight as being disjointed, you know, music time, preaching time, music time, prayer time, go home time, that everything connects. And so the things we've been singing, um, they provide a context. And within that context, now we begin to look at Scripture, and God teaches us. And so in light of everything we've sung tonight and talked about, let's look at God's Word. We are beginning uh, the uh, to kind of implement our exit strategy for moving um, June the 8th will be our last Sunday night to meet here in this place, and then we'll be uh, relocating uh, to the BCM building on the corner of Highland Road and Chimes on the LSU campus. We're going to meet there um, until God shows us what's next. Um, and so we've been making lists and... Um, trying to make sure that we're looking at everything from every angle and trying to, you know, really just get ready for the move. And, um, you know, throwing stuff away and packing things up and figuring out where we're going to store things and all that. Those are those are being handled. Um, the elders uh, several weeks ago sat around and we talked about the things that we felt like needed to be addressed um, to prepare our hearts and to prepare our minds um, to move as well. Uh, it is a significant time in the life of this church, and um, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be exciting. And so from now until we we move, um, there are just some things that uh, we're going to talk about that are kind of ramping us up, getting ready for us to go uh, to a new place to meet. And so tonight we're going to start kind of big picture, and then each week we're going to get a little bit closer, like we're going to Google Earth <laughs> closer and closer and closer, getting a little more detailed each time. But tonight's kind of a big picture um, deal. And uh, I just want to just make this statement. I'll probably say it a million times tonight, but this is the, if you walk away with nothing else tonight from my role in this, uh, it is this statement that God is not random. God is not random. He may seem random, but he is not random. All right. Look at Exodus 13. We talked about this before. Uh, we've been meeting together on Sunday nights for 10 years, and so we're definitely going to overlap teachings and scriptures, okay? But uh, tonight's point is a little bit different. Um, Exodus chapter 13, we find uh, the children of, of Israel, all right, the, the Israelite nation that had been enslaved for hundreds of years um, under uh, the Pharaoh in Egypt, and they were released. And so they've known nothing but slavery for all these years, they are set free um, after God uh, systematically goes through and, like, just plagues them 
to where they just uh, finally get the hint and they let him go. And so all these, this whole nation, men and women and sons and daughters, and they pack up all their stuff and all everything that they have, um, um, well, not everything they have, but you know, most of what they have. And they go on this journey and they're they're leaving. And God has told them, "I'm going to bring you into this land that was promised to your forefathers. I'm going to bring you there." So they they get out in and they're like on the way to there. All right. And um, they kind of take this detour. And this is what it says, verse 17. We're talking like a million people, all right? It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. NIV says uh, that was shorter, all right? For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. All right. Now, uh, there's this little map that I've shown before, and this is this kind of gives you a, a visual of what's going on. All right. They're in the Nile Delta area. They're going to Canaan. The red uh, indicator there it shows the route that they took. All right. Now I'm. Not a scientist, not a genius, but I remember learning at some point that the the shortest way to get from point A to point B is a straight line. You with me? Okay. Now the straight line would obviously be um, the opposite of the way that they went. All right. And so what what Scripture says is even though um, that God could have marched them straight toward Canaan, there were all these people living in that region that they would have to march through. That's what he said. They're going to they're gonna face war. I mean, look back at it. Look, uh, verse 17. Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. He's basically like, all right, they've known nothing but slavery. They're gonna, they're, they've been set free, and they're following me, and I'm, I'm taking them to the promised land. When we get to the land of the Philistines, the Philistines are fighters. And as soon as like enough of the Israelites die, they're going to figure out, you know what? Um, we were a lot better off in Egypt. Let's turn around, and let's just go back. Because, I mean, you know, and, and they say it several times. We had, you know, pots full of meat, you know, that we could eat. And we had homes and we had all this stuff. And you brought us out here to die. And so God knew if, if he marched them from point A to point B, what was lying in between, they were not ready to handle. They didn't trust him enough yet. And sure, he had done this big miraculous thing getting them out of slavery and he was bringing them somewhere but like they just they hadn't had enough experience with him to trust him enough to go into what looks like certain death and just trust him and face war they were going to tuck tail and run and so what god did was god said i'm going to bring them out of the way it says uh, he didn't lead them uh verse 18 but god led the people around by the way of the wilderness here's here's what's awesome about these two verses we don't always get a glimpse into the reasoning that god does stuff you know there are you know bible's full of all these god does all these things and a lot of times they're strange you know they don't make a lot of sense we don't always get the why you know god just kind of does it and here we we get his rationale behind it and we learn something very very important that god is not random 
Now, I'm sure when the children of Israel, when they, when they started like going in that direction, I'm sure like even Moses was like, all right, this, is, this doesn't make a lot of sense. We're, we're going completely out of the way. And I'm sure at the time it seemed extremely random to them. And they certainly questioned Moses' leadership and his ability to hear God and all this kind of stuff. There's all kind of indications about human nature and all this kind of stuff in there. But the, the big point that we take away is that God did not randomly bring them out of the way. He had a reason behind it. He was like, I know your heart's in your minds and you are not ready for what is straight ahead. So God brought them the roundabout way. He brings them out into the desert and I've talked about this before, where he brings them and there's no food. And they're hungry and they're complaining. And so then God starts providing manna on the ground in the morning for them to eat. And he's like, see, you can trust me. You're hungry. There's no food. You're in the middle of the desert. But look, I'll provide this for you. He brings them and, and, they're, and they're thirsty. He's making water come out of rocks, you know. Again, more reasons to trust him. They don't know where they're going, so God provides this cloud for them to follow during the daytime. When the cloud moves, they move. When the cloud stops, they stop. Then at night, there's a big pillar of fire. When the pillar moves, they move. And when the pillar stops, they stop. And so he's, he's saying, look, look how I will provide for you. I will guide you. Um, I'm completely in control of what's going on. And he brings them this roundabout way and begins to build their faith one instance at a time, just one at a time, one at a time. It was not random. God is not random. The whole story of the Exodus really seems just incredibly random when you look at it. Um, It's being led by Moses. Um, When Moses was a baby, uh, the Pharaoh decided that, or the Hebrews were just, population just out of control. There were too many of them, and they were worried about their numbers being greater than the Egyptians, and they wouldn't be able to, you know, control them and stuff. And so uh, he had this decree, and he was like, every, uh, every baby that's a boy, you throw him into the river. Now it's his way of controlling population, um, which I don't really get. Like, you'd think it would be the girls, but anyway. Um, so maybe it was Pharaoh's dumb, and that worked to their advantage too. Um, and so, this, uh, so that was his deal was uh, kill all the boys. Moses' mom makes this basket, puts him in the river, and floats him downstream. Just kind of, I guess, felt she was supposed to do that. And um, he gets, uh, the baby gets picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, and he's raised as one of Pharaoh's sons in the household. And then we also learned that Moses' mom was the, was the like, midwife who got to care for him. So in reality, she actually got to raise her own son. Um, and, you know, and that seems totally random, right? But God is not random. It seems random, but God's not random. Grows up in the household of Pharaoh. Um, why would that be significant? Well, later on, um, he becomes the one to go in and tell the Pharaoh, you need to let the Israelites go. Well, no, no normal guy just gets a hearing, you know, in the presence of the Pharaoh. But he grew up in his house. He had a relationship there. He was known there. So, see, it wasn't random. Just him being picked was not, was not random. It was very intentional. When God told Moses, you're going to be the one that said that I'm going to use to set the people free. And Moses is like, but I don't talk very well. I'm very insecure. I'm really bad with my words. Like, why would I be the one to do this? And God, like, couldn't really get through to him for a long time. Like, no, 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 no. You're not a random selection. You're my selection. 
And so he goes in and, and he starts telling the Pharaoh, look, you need to let the people go. And these ten plagues happen. And when you look at the list of the plagues, like it's like water turned to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, cattle, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then the firstborn die. That just seems like the most random like list of things ever, you know? And I think growing up, I you know, I heard the story about the the plagues and stuff, and I would think, well, he was just picking the most annoying things possible, you know, gnats, locusts, flies. I like beef, saw the cattle die, that had to be bad, you know. Um, frogs, must have just, like, I just always find that so comical. Um, have you ever seen the movie Magnolia where the frogs come down? It's like my favorite favorite scene. It's just incredible. And it seems like this random selection of things. And for me growing up, I thought the first nine were almost just like God just randomly picked stuff. What was the most annoying? What would just drive them crazy? What would kill their crops? You know, what would do all this stuff? And the bit was the 10th one. The firstborn in the household would, would die um, unless you had the blood painted on the doorpost and, and the spirit of God would pass over that house. And so the Pharaoh had a son and his son died and that's what triggered him letting them go. I always thought, like, first nine were just kind of like, just for fun, look how awesome I am, whatever. But the thing is, all ten of the plagues were God's way of trumping the false gods that were being worshipped at the time. So you take the Nile River, they worshipped the Nile River. Like, it was a god to them. And so this is Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, saying, you, think you worship this river? Watch, I can manipulate this. It's blood. So it wasn't random. It was very intentional. And he goes through the, these plagues, frogs. It was this God of, of, the, of resurrection, of, of new life. So frogs were sacred. And God's, okay, watch this. I'm going to make it rain frogs. He's like, Yahweh trumps Frogs, gnats, flies, locusts. Um, their crops were a big deal. You know, like that was a, a sign of divine uh, protection was how their crops were doing. And he just destroyed those with, with hail and with the locusts and stuff. Um, they worshiped the sun. And so the ninth plague was darkness. So every time Moses goes in, he's like, you better let him go. And Pharaoh's like, no, you can't go. And he's like, all right, here you go. One more God is going to get trumped. And the 10th plague, like all the firstborn dying, like that was bad. But the fact that Pharaoh's son died, that was the real kicker because they considered Pharaoh to be a god. And so even the selection of those things in the plague, the, the, the different plagues, they, every one of them was on purpose. None of them were random. And so the whole story is full of things that, that at first seem like they're just kind of just random details. Oh, it's a good story and all these different elements to it. But when, when you look at it from a divine perspective, from that big picture idea, we see that every single detail was really, really purposed. God wasn't up there flipping a coin, you know. There's a reason behind every every bit of it. The thing is about the the fact that God is not random, you almost never see at the time the purpose behind the things that he has going on. It's almost never clear right away. 
how the circumstances and the things that God is doing in life, how they fit into the big picture. It almost never makes sense immediately. It's usually when you look back on it or at some point God just kind of reveals to you how those things fit in. And here's, here's kind, of, kind of two ways of looking at it. There's one way um, in, in jazz, okay, um, this is kind of how jazz works, all right? If you go and you, you go, our drummer Brandon plays with, with this group, all right, and the, you'll go some restaurant or something, they'll be over there in the corner, and you're like, hey, I know him. He plays in my church. Um, here's what's going on. Brandon's playing the drums. You've got a piano player, and you've got a bass player, all right? And let's say that that night they have a sax player sitting in, okay? The, the bass player and the keyboard player are playing these chord progressions, that are that are set. And so they're playing these changes and they know what's going on, all right? And they're playing together these changes that have been set down. They've been written in front of them or something like that or they just know them and they memorize them or they're some standard kind of progressions. But they're playing these changes and you got this sax player who's just making up stuff as he goes. And it seems really, really random what he's doing. Like he's just all over the place, whatever. But the thing is, in real like improv like that, it seems random, but it's not. The notes that the sax player is playing are within the different chords that the piano player and the bass player are playing. So they're setting the parameters, and he's improving within those parameters that have been set. All right. Now, it's really free, and it's really just, I mean, the possibilities are almost endless, but you can, he can play outside of the progression that they're laying down, and it sounds horrible when that happens. It sounds like, you know, ninth grade high school jazz band, horrible when that happens. And so if you got the rhythm section laying down these changes and the sax player is playing within those changes, that's, that's, that's jazz. That's when you sit there and like, yeah, that's good. And that kind of happens in life, too. There are a lot of just those day-to-day things, day-to-day life for Christians where, where God has set down these, these parameters, all right? We have all these things in Scripture, and they're just like all these things that he's just set down. And then we're kind of like the sax player, and we are kind of improving through life with, within the parameters that he's given us. And so there's, there's freedom, and you're going about your day and stuff like that, and you're, you're living and you're making decisions and you're doing all this stuff. It's in the context of what God has already laid down for us. Now, just like in real in jazz improv, when we begin to improvise life outside of the changes in those boundaries and stuff that God has set, that's when life just gets really noisy and terrible and falls apart. And so that's kind of one way of looking at, at life, and I kind of look at that as, as how daily life is in Christ, you know? So the context is we're praying, we're studying Scripture, we're listening for Him. We are um, being obedient to the things He's already told us in His Word. We're, we're, we're doing all these, all these things, and we know those parameters. But another way of looking at life is, is more like a symphony. And symphonies are the most like, in, intentional like, forms of music like you can possibly imagine. I had to take this class. It was the worst class I took in college. It was called Form and Analysis. And so they would give us this score of, like, Beethoven's, like, Fourth Symphony or something. And we'd have to, like, analyze this thing to death. 
And I was a music major, and it was a real easy major. And so there are a couple of little hoops you had to jump through. You just had to suck it up and do it. And this was one of them. But we had to sit there, and you had to go through and, and analyze and look at it. And what's amazing is um, that when you take a symphony and you begin to break it down, like it is incredibly well-crafted. Everything in it is intentional. And they have all these melodies and these counter-melodies and these chord structures and these... And, and you have uh, all these different instruments, and they all have a certain range, and they have all these things, and there's different combinations create different colors, and there's just all this stuff. It is, it is the opposite of jazz. It is very purposed. It is very directed. Um, it, is, it is the most unrandom thing ever. And so at the same time, while like living daily life in Christ is kind of like jazz, Big picture life is a lot like the symphony, where God, being not random, orchestrates and guides world history and our lives as well. And so it's not, is it jazz or is it a symphony? It's, it's both at the same time. And, and you, we just kind of have to accept that. So here we are living this, this free life within these parameters that God's given us, and we're improv every day, every day, every day, trying to stay in the changes that he's given. But you Google Earth back a little bit, and you see that that is a part of this incredible symphony that he is writing. And everything in it is very purposed and very intentional and is not random at all. So what does it have to do with us tonight in this room? give you two applications. One, what does that have to do with our church? Um, us moving to the BCM building is not random. It is not random at all. We do plenty of random things here at the ring, especially uh, in the early days of the ring. We did everything we did was random because we had no idea what we were doing. Um, as, as we have grown together, um, I can say that we do very few things that are just completely random. The, uh, like our community groups, they're, they're the jazz part of our church. We write this material, and, and God lays down like kind of a structure. But within that, every community group improvs their own deal every Monday night, every Tuesday night. Discussions go all, a whole number of different ways. And so like that's kind of the like the, the jazzy side of church, I guess, so to speak. Um, here on Sunday nights, there's a lot of improvisation that happens. You know, God kind of sets down what the night's going to look like, but within that, things go different directions. And, and Cody and the band take us different places, and I'll take us different places. And um, the testimonies that we'll have will take us places we never thought we were going to go. I mean, it's just awesome. And, and so, um, like, there are lots of jazz-type things that happen in the life of this church. Us moving falls into the symphony category. This is a part of the symphony that God is writing that is our church. We're not moving because we got kicked out. We're not moving to the BCM building because we didn't have anywhere else to go. We're not moving because we're mad. We're not moving. The, like, the reason why we're moving is because God, as a part of this symphony he's writing, has said, this is what I have next for you. That's the only reason. And so from a divine perspective, we look at um, seven years, seven and a half years of being a college ministry, two and a half years of being a church here, 
this is the next part of what God has for us. It's the next movement of the symphony. It is incredibly um, intentional and calculated and purposed and designed by God. It is not random at all. Now, to some, it seems really random. To me, it seems really random a lot of the time, but it's not. And the thing thing about the God not being random, and like I said, you almost never see it at the time. I have no idea how, I mean, why this is the next step for us. And there's all kind of possibilities in my mind and all kind of things that I think are ahead of us, but the truth is only God knows why he's bringing us there. And so it's really important um, that we as a church look at this move as being like, this is God's next step for us, bottom line. We got questions, and there are all kinds of things we're not sure about, and we're going to have to really be flexible and kind of roll with the punches. But, man, this is God's next, that's what he has for us. And I hope that, that you are getting excited about it the more that, that you pray. But having a divine perspective on this move is really important. That we see together God is moving us, and this is his plan for us. This is not the elders. This is not the staff. This is not Parkview. This is not... The BCM, it's not Steve, it's not, there's nobody um, that's driving this except Jesus, the head of this church. And it's what he wants. And he's the head, and we are the body, and we go where the head goes. And when we begin to think about that, it's pretty awesome. The second application, we bring things into our life. Whether, whether you look at life at your life right now as jazz or you look at it as a symphony, um, neither one of them are random. And that's really important. And you might look at your life and you might think at this point, like probably all of us in here, we probably all kind of have some struggles, you know. Probably would not list like our life in the everything's perfect, couldn't be better category. We, we all kind of have this mix of like some things are great, some things are not so great. We start looking at the not so great things. The important part that it, about those struggles is that while, while we're there, is that we're asking the right questions of the Lord. And so you might look at your life as... Or you might look at your life and you see the things like the dissonance is being created, the noise that's happening is because you are the sax player and you are improv and outside of the changes that God has laid down, the core progression that God has set up for your life. And you're over in left field and you're trying to make it work. You're trying to make awesome music that everybody's, you know, just going to look at your life and be like, wow, that guy's got it together. But what happens is the... The further away from the changes you get, the more noisy your life gets and the more terrible it sounds and you don't know how to fix it. And so if that's kind of where you are, you have to you have to start asking yourself the right questions. And so for a jazz musician who has just completely lost it and they're just like playing it sounds terrible, the only way that they're going to start sounding not terrible is to look at the changes on the page and go back to the fundamentals and the, the basic ideas that God has laid down. And you go back and you look at those things and 
And that's kind of where we've been the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about prayer and scripture and community and how all these things fit together. And so if, if you're looking at it, you're like, man, my daily life is just a wreck, man. I'm just all over the place. Then that's the question you have to ask, you know. What, what am I missing? What, of the, what chord progression am, am I just completely off on? Or maybe, but maybe your life is in a place where you're like, all right, if my life is a symphony and God is strategically doing some stuff, God has strategically brought me into a place that I absolutely hate. It's the most miserable place I've ever been. And you look at your life and you're like, I don't think it's that I'm making bad decisions. I don't think it's that I'm improving out of the way. I just feel like God has moved me strategically like a chess piece into this part of place of life where I'm just hating every second of it. And so the question that you have to ask if you're there is, all right, God, what, what do I need to learn here? You go back, we go, go back to the scripture. Um, God brought them the roundabout way because they were going to face war and they were going to turn around. They didn't trust him enough. Their faith was not where it needed to be. There were some, some specific things they needed to learn, and that's why God brought them into the desert. Now, their stupidity and bullheadedness kept them there way longer than I think God intended them for them to be, but that's a whole other thing. Um, there was an intentional reason why God brought them there. So God has moved you into this place to teach you something. And so the question that has to be brought into your prayer life is, what, what is it that I need to learn? Is it about faith, you know? Is it about peace? Is it about joy, Is it about my calling in life? Is it about, I mean, is it about a sin issue that I just refuse to let go of? I mean, begin to, that's the question that you start to ask. And God's not going to just abandon you. He's going to show you. And that's the thing is whether it's, whether you're thinking more jazz day to day or thinking more symphony, big picture stuff, both, I mean, God is the same He's the solution in both situations. To chase the analogy all the way to its end, he's the composer that's written all that stuff on the page. He's the one that knows. And so maybe you're asking the wrong person. But I'm telling you, nothing that you're going through right now or any point in life is random. God will not waste that. It might seem random at the time. It might seem completely pointless. It might just be the most miserable place you've ever been. But God does not waste that. Marriage problems, money problems, um, school problems, family problems, friend problems, sin problems, all these things, God does not waste those experiences. It is not random. That might be the exact opposite of what you want to hear. You might not want to hear, yeah, God has brought you to this place. That might push you over the edge. But here's the thing. God's brought you to this place, but it is with purpose. And that purpose is for your good. It is for his good. It is not random. It is not meaningless. That's That's got to be a ray of hope in your life. It might not be right now. 
sometimes just knowing that what you're going through has a purpose, that's, that's, that's the hope that you need. So I sum it up, God is not random. Whether he's moving in history, whether he's moving in our church, whether he's moving in your life, there's nothing random about it. Everything has a purpose. He doesn't waste any of it. I don't know how this fits into your life. That's between you and God. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to let it get, have a little time to sink in, and uh, then we'll go home. All right, let me pray for us.